the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. So at the end of this passage, there's a beautiful dialogue. This lawyer comes to Christ, and he's testing him. He says, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, what does the law say to do? And then, of course, he's a smart man, so he knows exactly what the law says. So he tells him, you know, you should love the Lord, and love your neighbors yourself. And Christ says, do this, and you will live. You have rightly answered. That's correct. You do this, and you will live. So I want to meditate on this final phrase that Christ says in the passage that we just read. For Christ to say, do this, and you will live. Now, this man is clearly alive and well. Right? He's standing there. He's breathing. He's talking to him. But Christ says, do this, and you will live. That's a little ironic because... It's not like this man is dead. He's already alive, he's talking, he's breathing. Yet Christ says, if you do this, you will live. So, clearly this isn't about the current condition of the man. This isn't about whether he is alive at the present moment. He's telling him, you will live. And it even reflects what the man asked in his initial question. Because he said, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Right? So this is a question about the future. Right? But again, is Christ just telling him that you will continue to exist forever? Is he just telling him that if you do this, you will stay alive into eternity? Of course not, because we know that our souls are eternal. Our souls are created to be immortal. Right? So we will exist into eternity. And a lot of people find this concept a little tough to grasp, but our soul never dies, right? So whenever you're 80 or 90 years old and the time comes for you to depart, it's the body that dies and then later at the resurrection that the body will rise and reunite with the soul, right? So the soul never dies, yet Christ is telling him, if you do this, you will live. So clearly it's not just about saying, well, if you do this, you're going to exist into eternity. Because whether he listens to Christ or not, his soul is immortal and will exist into eternity. So what is this really all about? What does it mean to say you will live? What does it mean to say you will live? And you know, a lot of times we think that the fact that we're alive means we're truly living, but that's not always the case. There's more to it than that. St. Paul says, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. For St. Paul, so long as Christ was in his heart, he was alive. So long as he knew Christ, he was alive. Before Christ... He considered himself dead. And this is exactly what we find in the parable of the prodigal son. Right? He goes back as soon as his son returns and he says, My son was dead and is alive again. Right? When we're separate from God, we're in a state of death. When we're with God, when we're abiding in Him and He's abiding in us, we're truly alive. And that's when we're really living, not just breathing, not just walking around and talking. A lot of people, yes, may be alive, 
but not truly living. And so for St. Paul, it wasn't until he met Christ on the road to Damascus and he was enlightened. And when he came to that light, he came to life, right? This is whenever his life began. Christ made this very clear to us whenever he taught, especially in the passage in John chapter 10 when he says that I am the good shepherd. I come to give my life to the sheep. And I've come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I've come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Because he is the way, the truth, and the life. When we come to have this life, it's about experiencing it. It's about coming to have a relationship with Christ. There's no way for us to claim this life by a superficial or even an intellectual knowledge. It's about truly having an intimate relationship with Christ by knowing Him. And again, this is what he says in that same passage in John 10 when he's talking about himself as the Good Shepherd. He says, My sheep know me and I am known by my sheep. They know me. They hear my voice. Right? They can recognize who I am. I can call them from a distance and they'll know that's my voice and they'll come. This is the very reason why Christ was incarnate. This was the very reason why He became man so that He can restore what was lost. He can restore the nature that was corrupted by sin because we were created for this very purpose. The essence of our being was created to know God, was created to have an intimate relationship with God. So, St. Athanasius says, For what use is existence to the creature if it cannot know its maker? How could men be reasonable beings if they had no knowledge of the word? They would be no better than the beasts had they no knowledge except for earthly things. And why should God have made them at all if He had not intended them to know Him? Therefore, knowledge of their Maker is for men the only real, happy, and blessed life. This is the only source of our happiness. So long as we know God, so long as we have a relationship with God, we are alive. I think this example is probably the most obvious to me. Like, I kind of relate this to how my dog treats me. Okay, some of you know I have a cute little puppy. He's not much of a puppy anymore because he's a little over two years old, but... Mello, my dog, loves me to death, okay? And so, whenever I'm with him, you know, he's alive and fun and happy and he's interacting with me. The moment I leave, and when I walk out of the house, I, I leave like his favorite chew toys there. I give him like this big old antler, it's like half his size. <laughs> I give him treats, I give him 
a rope, and I give him like tons of things to play with. And then I walk out. As I'm walking out, I see him just like walk over and just lay down on his mat. He knows I'm walking out. He's like, okay, like my life is over right now. <laughs> and then he'll just lay there. And he'll lay there the whole time, even though he has all of his fun toys. The moment I walk back in, he runs up to me, he's excited, he greets me, and then he goes to play with his toys. Sometimes I'll even like leave a big treat, and I'll, I'll walk out, and the treat will just like sit there the whole time. He won't even touch it. But I, I walk back in the house, and then all of a sudden, he's motivated to play with his toys. He's, he's excited to chew on his antlers. He's, he's actually like motivated to interact with me. But when I'm not there, it's like, just go play with your toys. <laughs> What's the big deal that I'm not here? But to him, like that, that's his life. Whenever Abuna's home, then I feel alive. I feel like I can like play with my toys and like walk around the house freely. But whenever I'm not there, he just like, he's laying there like he's dead. I'm like, what's going on? This reminds me of how we are created. We are created to feel alive when we're in Christ's presence. And whenever sin separates us, whenever the distractions of this world separates us, in a sense, we're just like my dog Mello whenever... I'm not home, and even though he has all the toys in the world around him, just he doesn't care. There's no reason to really live. But we're created to know God, to have a relationship with God, and this is the essence of life. In a sense, we can equate life, truly living, with that relationship, with knowledge of God, with that intimacy with God. And it's a dynamic relationship. It's not just reading the Bible. It's not just the liturgy. It's not just praying in your room at home. It's not just serving the homeless and the poor and the sick. It's all of that together. It's about praising God. It's about thanking God throughout your day. It's about having a deep, intimate relationship with Him. Not this superficial checklist, just going through my day and, okay, I did this, I did that, I'm done. A real relationship. Whenever you're with someone and you feel like you're alive, you know whenever you're with your best friend and you feel free, like you're not guarded, you don't have to worry about how to form every single sentence. Like right now, I'm still restrained by the context of this setting. Like I have to choose my words carefully. You know, this sermon's recorded. Some of you may not know me so well, so... I can't be as tough as I want to be. So some of you know me better, so I can be a little bit free around you. But in this setting, I have to be a little bit more cautious. I have to be guarded. Like, in a sense, I'm restrained. But when I'm at home with my wife, for example, I can say whatever I want. I feel free. I feel like I'm truly living. I feel like I don't have to guard my words. I don't have to uh, worry about how I'm forming each sentence. Right? Of course, I'm going to be considerate and kind and caring, but I'm, I'm not so cautious. I'm, I'm, I'm alive. I'm free. And that's what Christ came to give us. 
a life that liberates us. And so long as we have him in our presence, we feel alive and we feel free. Okay, now, what is this thing that we have to do to live? Right? Because Christ responded, he said, you've answered correctly, do this and you will live. Right? What is this thing? What is the this that you ought to do? When the man answered, he said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. This is the toughest commandment in the scriptures. Nothing is harder to do than to love. But he's telling him, this is the source of life. He's telling him, you do this, and you will live. Not just exist into eternity, but you will know me. Because remember, we're defining life as this relationship. We're defining life as knowledge of God. So he says, you do this, and you will have a relationship with me. You will enjoy this beautiful knowledge, this experience. Not an intellectual knowledge, but when you know someone heart to heart. You do this, and you will know me. But why is it that he chose love? Why is it that this is the commandment to fulfill in order to live? He could have said, have faith, and you will live forever. Right? He could have said, you know, study the scriptures, and you will live forever. He could have said so many things. Why is it that he chose love out of everything else? There's a deep connection between the commandment and the consequence in fulfilling the commandment. There's a profound connection. Connection between love and life. We know that God is love. Right? God is love. In his essence, he is love. Right? So... When, when we love, we're in a sense entering into that experience of God. When we love, we're identifying with God. We're experiencing His own life. We're experiencing His nature. His essence is an essence of love. So, when we know that love, we experience it, then we live in the same nature as God. That right there is the source of life. And in as much as we love, we have life. If we have no love, we're completely dead. Completely dead. If we love, we know God. And if we have no love, we can claim to know Him, we can claim to be Christian, but it's all nothing but words. Listen to what Mother Teresa says. God loved the world so much that He gave His Son Jesus. And Jesus loved you. He loved me and He gave Himself on the cross for us. He gave up everything that was beautiful and was really like us, a human being. He was like us in everything except sin. 
but He loved us tenderly. And to make sure that we understand His love, that we don't forget that He loved us, He makes Himself the hungry one, the naked one, the homeless one, and He says, whatever you do to the least of my brethren, you do it to me. This is the connection between love and life. When we love, we encounter Christ. We encounter the source of life. When we love, when we go to our neighbor, when we go to the poor, to the sick, to the homeless, we are going to Christ. So when we love, we are interacting with God Himself. And that's why the commandment to love God and the commandment to love our neighbor is essentially one and the same. You can't ever separate them. It's impossible. As a matter of fact, whenever St. Paul talks about the two greatest commandments in the epistle to the Galatians, he doesn't even say that you have to follow these two. He just reduces it all the way down to one. He says there's one commandment, to love your neighbor. That's it. Well, what about love God? (laughs) Well, you love God by loving your neighbor. There's a secret. And you can't possibly claim to love God if you don't love Him in the person next to you. How can you love God whom you do not see if you cannot love God in the person who you do see? If you cannot love the person next to you, you can't possibly love God. And that's why to love is to experience God. When we love, we encounter His nature, we encounter His life, we encounter the joy of service. And it's for our sake that we embark on this journey of love. We are the ones who receive. Alright, so let's take a closer look at what this actually looks like. Okay? St. Augustine asks this question. When you put this love into practice, what does it look like? He says, it has the hands to help others. It has the feet to hasten to the poor and needy. It has the eyes to see misery and need. It has the ears to hear the sighs and sorrows of men. And that's what love looks like. Love has to be put into action. And if it's not put into action, it's nothing but words. Love has to be put into action. And so, we love by serving. We love by offering, not just our time, our money, not just offering a word of comfort, but offering ourselves. We ourselves become the offering, just like Christ. Think about what Christ came to offer humanity. What did He give us? He gave us His own self. I mean, we say that He is the High Priest, right? He came to make the offering. But the High Priest was also the sacrifice itself. He was the offering on the altar. So He came not to give us an offering that He just picked up somewhere outside the temple. But He came to offer His own life, His own self. When we enter into this life, the life of love that's really put into action... We experience the greatest joy. I can't tell you how many people are transformed when they come back from service trips. 
We come back from missionary trips. We always talk about how we're going to go to Bolivia or Kenya or wherever, and we're going to help these people, we're going to help the poor, we're going to help the sick. What's the first thing you hear out of everyone's mouth when they return? I feel so full. That was the best time of my life. I benefited so much. Right? Isn't that the first thing you hear? And that's because we come to satisfy the essence of our nature. We are created to love and to be loved. And when we pour out our heart in love, we are the ones who benefit. And we're deceived to think that it's nothing but a bitter cross. Yes, there is suffering and there is pain. But in that suffering, in that pain, in the cross is the resurrection. And you can't separate the two. So I'll just wrap up by mentioning to you a story from my own service. And when I went to Kenya a few years ago, this is my most memorable moment. Okay? It's a little mango that I'm holding right there. If anybody knows me, I'm like the mango monster. <laughs> okay? Like you give me like a buffet of all sort of food and you just have a bowl of mango or leave everything, you just grab the bowl of mango and just go to town. Alright? There's nothing better in life for me than just some sweet, especially like Egypt's mangoes, you know, like the good mango. Not like, here's kind of hit or miss. Right? So, I've had a lot of mangoes. A lot of mangoes in my life. This was the best one I've eaten. Nothing can, comes close. Nothing compares. So I'll tell you the story behind this mango. We went with a group of uh, youth from the church. And uh, this is in one of the villages in Kenya. And uh, we have some charity kits, almost like what we've been collecting recently for the last uh, week or so. Uh, we put together these kits that have uh, like hygiene and little toothbrushes and toothpaste and little things that they could use for their own homes, right? So we put all of these kits together and we're going from house to house. And it's not even like a house. It's really like a hut. You know, it's just some sticks and mud and like there's a little sheet on top of it and some straw. And they walk just on the ground. Some of them don't even have sandals. And like you'll see a woman bathing her child in like dirty water. Like they don't have clean water. They have nothing. Like the poorest of the poor. And we're going from house to house and giving them these little kits. We'd walk in and we'd share a little message with them. And uh, we would ask about how they're doing. We pray together and then we walk out. So one of the houses that we entered into, there is this widow. And she has like two or three little kids. And like her house is totally empty. There's like a little mat on the ground and uh, like a little kettle off to the side. And that's it. And in the corner, there was like a little bucket with a handful of mangoes. And I'm with two other people as we walk into this house. So we ask about her and we share a spiritual message from the gospel. We pray and then as we're leaving, she says, please allow me to thank you. I want to just give you some food to go. And so she reaches in this bucket 
that only has like four or five mangoes, and there's three of us, and she is insisting on giving each one of us a little mango. Insisting. And I'm like, I can't take this. Like, this is your breakfast, lunch, dinner. I can't possibly take this. And she's like, refusing to let us go. So after like a big heated debate, we decide to just take one for all of us, <laughs> just so I don't offend her in rejecting her offering of love. But I walked away from this, and I felt like I wasn't just carrying any ordinary fruit. I was carrying the fruit of love itself. Just like the widow with the two mites. She gave all that she had. This was all that she had. If I went to any ordinary house here, and somebody gives me a check for thousands of dollars, it may not equate to this. This was all that she had. So I walked away. I couldn't even eat it. I didn't know what to do with it. Like I felt like it was sacred. <laughs> so I walked around and just like cut a little piece for everybody to eat. It was a blessing. This was truly a blessing. And so when we experience love in this way, we are edified. Right? I came to offer this lady a word of benefit and to give her some toothbrushes and toothpaste and what have you in this little kit. But she gave me more than she could imagine. Mother Teresa continues to say, there's reason for being here. And that reason is to love. You have been made to love and to be loved. And that's the most beautiful thing that a human being has or can give. Love. But not in words, because we are human beings and we need to see and we need to touch. That's why the poor people give us much more than we can give them. Because they can give us an opportunity to love God in them. Remember, we are created to love. And that's what makes us truly alive. Unto God is due all glory forever. Amen.